Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 71. Certainly not rosy. It's been a lot of work to get here. And I'm not saying that there will never be a storm, <laughs> but uh, that's why I've prepared. And this is what I would tell anybody. So when you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, you have your idea of how much it'll make, but make sure you are really, really conservative because you just don't know what you don't know. And I've run into that a few times. And luckily, having conservative estimates have been very helpful there. It's time for a new American dream, one that doesn't involve working in a cubicle for 40 years, barely scraping by. Whether you're looking to get your financial house in order, invest the money you already have, or discover new paths for wealth creation, you're in the right place. This show is for anyone who has money or wants more. This is the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. How's it going, everybody? I'm Scott Trench. I'm here with my co-host, Miss Minnie Jensen. How are you doing today, Mindy? Scott, I'm doing great. How are you today? I am doing fantastic. It is beautiful today. Although I did attempt to bike in today and my little bag that I attached to my bike broke. So I actually ended up having <sighs> to drive on this beautiful day instead of bike. Oh, that stinks. Yeah. Did it like completely break? Uh, the, you have to get a new one? It attaches to my bike brakes and I could have probably just used another bag and carried it on my back, but it's a one day problem. <laughs> A one day problem. And there will be many more beautiful days here in sunny Colorado because that's kind of what we export. That's uh, the, yeah. <laughs> People think that Colorado is filled with snow and that's only in the mountains. We don't live in the mountains. We live down at, I mean, it's still, it's not sea level. It's still a mile high, but yeah, we have beautiful days all year round and I have never loved a state more. Yeah. It's pretty great here. It is doing? pretty great here. I am doing really good. This weekend, I spent a lot of time doing uh, real estating, as Daphne calls it. I have a listing that went under contract. I've been working with some buyers and I made an offer for them. Hopefully it gets accepted. But I just went all out this weekend doing my real estate. So this show is just another extension of that. Today, we're interviewing Sarah, who has become financially independent through her real estate investing. And her story is just fabulous. I really, really enjoy hearing how she made smart decisions. She made money conscious decisions. And now she is retired at the age of, well, now she's 31, but she retired at the age of 30. And retired is, she's one of those people who can't sit still, just like most retired people that I know. She didn't retire to lay on the beach and drink pina coladas. She retired to work on passion projects. So now she's more involved in the arts and she can do whatever she wants without thinking about how much it's going to cost because, or how much it's going to pay because she doesn't need the money. Yeah. I, I mean, I love the application of frugality. Uh, there's a little bit of minimalism here and then the off to the races building real estate, but not so much off to the races that it's about building a hundred units, massive portfolio. It's always, I think with her, at least the impression I got uh, over the last five years has been with the end in mind of financial freedom in the early 30s and the ability to have all that optionality. And wow, she just backed into that so effectively. Yeah, yeah. Her story's great. Before we tell her whole story and negate listening to the rest of it. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. 
Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Okay, Sarah, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you guys? I'm doing fantastic, Scott. Doing great. Excited to have you. Super excited to have you. So Sarah was a guest on the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, but we did not exist back then. So we're going to take this time to introduce Sarah to our listeners because she's got a really awesome story of becoming financially independent through primarily real estate investing, which is, you know, kind of a thing that I'm really excited about. So Sarah, why don't we start off with where your journey with money begins? Yeah, absolutely. It really kind of stems from a lack of understanding growing up. We weren't exactly hurting for money, but there weren't the best financial habits learned growing up. And I remember, honestly, I didn't really fully understand how money worked until I was a good bit out of college. I remember I graduated and I called up a bank and I said, Hey, I need to put my money somewhere. And They say things like IRA and mutual funds. And I had no idea. And I said, okay, sure. Why not? And uh, (laughs) luckily I started that up, but it really didn't kind of skyrocket until I bought my first house and 
had no idea what I was doing. This is like my primary residence and I'm getting overwhelmed by mortgage terminology and thinking, what am I doing? And so it, it really wasn't until I stumbled upon Mr. Money Mustache and heard the financial independence, retirement early, you know, the fire movement that really excited me because that financial blueprint is for me was wanting to be secure. And that kind of just launched this whole process of where I am today. Wanting to be secure. That is a really great goal to have. How did you discover Mr. Money Mustache? Mr. Money Mustache was suggested by some anonymous forum member. I was uh, perusing a site called Reddit of all places. I was trying to learn like personal finance on, on that subreddit. And somebody mentioned Mr. Money Mustache. I clicked that link and I spent about <laughs> probably two weeks just completely reading his entire blog. And any of the questions that I would ask, uh, a lot of his rental stuff um, before he kind of switched to REITs primarily, he had his physical rental properties. And anytime I asked a question on Google, bigger pockets would show up. And I was like, well, I should probably look at this site a little more. And it was probably about six months until I was able to finally get my first rental. And so it, yeah, it was, it was this crazy happenstance that, that I even discovered this. And Last September, I was able to go to one of his pop-up business schools here in Colorado. It's just crazy to be able to see and meet all of these people in the FIRE community. What year was it that you kind of stumbled across this? When was that turning point? Uh, The turning point was 2014. It was toward the end. And then I got into my first rental in 2015. And I was... Keep in mind, I was really not understanding where the best use of my money was. So... I was able to, I think I had three or four by the end of that year. And since we bought in Colorado, the real estate went crazy here. So we were able to leverage things like a HELOC, the home equity line of credit to get all of those rentals as fast as we could (laughs) without over leveraging. What was your like position? Can you can you kind of go in and maybe give a little more detail on what your position overall was like in the months before you discovered that Reddit? Post and, and Mr. Money Mustache. Like, what were you spending? What was your income? What was kind of your asset allocation? And then, how did that change? Yeah. So, it was really scary at first because I think I had some mutual funds and I had a considerable savings. So, I operate under the you should have <laughs> more than six months for an emergency fund because I think, worst case scenario, what if I can't find a job for a year? What am I going to do? And so I had that, I guess, put away. And even though I would say achieving fire, uh, trimming your budget is extremely important and probably one of the most crucial steps you can take. Uh, We didn't have a budget at all, but at the same time, and, and by we, I mean me and my husband, we aren't big spenders. We do travel a good bit, but you know, we'll go out to eat, but We don't have a ton of nice clothing. I like to buy clothing, but I've changed how I do that since then. So our spending wasn't really tracked, but it wasn't out of control. There were definitely things that we could have cut out of our budget. I think we were including our mortgage spending close to, I don't know, 3000 a month with our mortgage being a good chunk of that. So we were able to kind of trim that, our spending down a good bit and 
at the time I was active duty military, so we didn't have things like healthcare costs. So it was a little bit of a different situation then. So what did you kind of peg your savings rate at, if you had to guess at this period? I know you weren't tracking it rigorously at that point, but do you, do you know? Yeah, it, right now we're close to 70%, but that is about to kind of go down because we're going to make some transitions pretty soon, which I'm sure we'll touch on. <laughs> Well, well what, what was it at prior to the discovery of the fire movement? I would estimate maybe it was 30 to 40%, which isn't too bad, but there was definitely being able to, I suppose, increase our savings rate helped us get to fire that much faster. Got it. And so once you discovered that, what were the changes? You said that there were minimal, but what were those changes? Were they more on the income front? Were they on the, you, did you start deploying your, I mean, I know you bought real estate six months later, but was it, was that really where you applied the pressure, I guess, is on the investing front? It was a good bit on the investing front, but in terms of trimming our budget, we were very, very conscious of purchases we made. And so, well, I think there's a good bit of overlap for things like zero waste and minimalism. I found a lot of people who are interested in the fire movement talk about these things. So we bought into that minimalist documentary that's on Netflix. And I I know they have their podcast. And I remember pausing about halfway through that documentary and going upstairs and going through clothing and trying to say, this needs to leave the house. This needs to leave the house. And so there were a lot of things we did that changed our frame of mind in terms of how we buy things. So we got rid of a lot of stuff in our house. We went down to one car, which was huge and has been really exciting. We have clothing exchanges instead of buying new clothing because we want to do the zero waste, right? So we don't want to buy new things if there are things locally that people don't want and we can just uh, trade for. Um, We compost our food, you know, kind of like typical hippie stuff, I suppose, if you want to think about it that way. And so all of those steps you may not think are fire-minded or directly related to fire, but for us it was because we're no longer spending so much money on new couches if we can find something to buy locally or trade or whatever. That helped us a lot. So you're trading locally. How do you do that? Well, there's a lot of, uh, I know like on social media and stuff like next door, you, you can find in this community, there are a lot of free things that people will put out really nice things for completely free and they, they you know, must come get it at the end of the day. So there's that. You can do uh, trades on Craigslist, the typical fare for buy and sell. Okay. I'm going to throw a ton of questions at you just to get a little bit of background. How old are you? Are you still working now? I think your husband is still working, but are you still working as well? What is your combined income and do you and your husband combine expenses and bank accounts? So go. Okay. So (laughs) there's a hundred questions. Yes. Um, So I'm 31 and I, uh, oh, sorry. What were the other questions? Are you still working? Oh, yes. So yes and no. I officially retired when I was 30. And like many other people who have retired, I've used this opportunity to pursue passions of mine. So right now I manage my properties, which is really minimal work if you ask me. But I do a lot of art-related stuff, um, you know, teaching instruments and dance and so it's been a lot of fun to explore those opportunities in more of a capacity than I would have otherwise. My husband is working, but since we've reached this, uh, I suppose he is a term called coast fire, 
where he's not accepting new clients at the moment. So for all we know, uh, you know, these uh, projects will peter out and he may not accept any other additional work unless he, he wants to, which is a great position to be in. So right now, I think our annual spending is, I don't know, maybe close to 40000 a year. And our real estate right now is covering that for us, which is great. And I think a lot of people have a problem with making that jump, right? They, they're financially independent, but they are not ready to retire early. And what really helped us with that was we had kind of like this bizarro world account where <laughs> all of our rental stuff came in and all of our bills and everything went out. And so we did that for a year, actually probably a little over a year and tried to figure out like with what's left over or what wasn't going to be left over, are we ready to make this jump? And so that's what kind of prompted that. Okay. So your real estate covers your spending, which is awesome. Do you have additional investments? And you said, I think I had some mutual funds. Do you still have any of that kind of thing? Because, you know, the whole 4% rule and at $40,000, you have to have a million in the bank to retire, which actually isn't true. You could do some sort of real estating where you bring in income. And then, so do you have any other investments? We do. We have uh, paper assets for sure. And okay. yeah, and those have, those create dividends, but right now we're just reinvesting them right away. So we are kind of, those are like just bonus bonuses for us right now. The primary was seeing what real estate could do for us. And how much did you spend on your real estate that it's kicking off $40,000 a year? Because with the 4% rule that I talked about a minute ago, you have to have a million dollars, which will generate... 4% is 40,000. And then you can live off of that. Did you spend a million dollars on real estate? Like your total dollars into it, not equity? Yeah, nowhere near, um, <laughs> nowhere near. And I would say maybe not even a quarter of that. And the reason I say that is because when you buy a property, especially an investment property, a lot of people like to see 25% down. So I wouldn't even say it's a quarter of that. If you were to estimate that, because, you know, we used home equity line of credit and, other kind of creative ways to finance these deals when we took out mortgages. And then when you get a certain amount of mortgages, you have all these rentals bringing in money. And so you can pay down the home equity line of credit. And then once that was paid off, we were able to say, okay, well, we, you know, now we can start keeping this, this excess money, which has been fantastic. So yeah, nowhere near. And that's why I love real estate so much. <laughs> I love the term excess money. <laughs> Yeah, excess. <laughs> well, you know, the actual, yeah, the actual profits, I suppose, from that. <laughs> well, because this is, this seems like the heart of the the journey here is all through this, this real estate portfolio. Can we spend a few minutes and, and walk through the creation of it? So start maybe starting with, hey, I discovered Mr. Money Mustache and Bigger Pockets and Reddit and all these, these sites, <laughs> I guess Reddit, you know. Yes. We discovered Fi uh, in 2014 and then got into that first property in early to mid 2015. What's that, what's that look like? How do you finance that first one? And how do you parlay that into the current portfolio? Well, the first one, it was pretty funny because I had just discovered Mr. Money Mustache and the military is like, cool, well, you're going away for you know a few weeks for training. And so uh, strangely enough, in Colorado here, the real estate scene was insane. If you are not a cash buyer offering $30,000 above <laughs> these, um, the asking price, you're going to have a difficult time in most cases. Of course, you know, you can get creative and find off market deals and all that good stuff. But at the time, I wasn't really well versed in that and I didn't know what I wanted to do. 
so at this training, I'm talking to one of my flight mates and he says, um, Hey, my wife's a real estate agent. And they were based where I used to be in Florida. And uh, I thought, you know what? I, I was thinking I wanted to start in Florida because townhouses down there or anywhere. Uh, I mean, they're definitely below $100,000 where yeah, in my local area, it was certainly more and it was less competitive down there in Florida. So that's where I decided on my market first because I knew the market and I knew the areas and what I had a good idea of what would be successful. So yes, six months later, we eventually find a townhouse down there and then we get that rented out. Everything goes fairly smoothly. There were some obstacles along the way, but then by the end of that year, I had two more townhouses again in that area. How did you finance that that townhouse? Uh, the very first townhouse was our home equity line of credit. We eventually, okay. yeah, we initially had a, a mortgage set up, and then the very last second, the mortgage people they found out they had made a mistake and they wanted to delay. And the people who were selling were saying, like, "I need to sell this as soon as possible." So it just worked out. We were able to put the whole thing on our line of credit. That's how cheap real estate is down there. How much was the place then? The place was, I think, 81. But we had, again, our own savings up to that point that we were ready to put 25% down and all that fun stuff. So yeah, we got that down there. And then there were other townhouses like 45 minutes north of that area that were $60,000. And so we got two of those. And right now, I think... We have the four places in Florida, which are all townhouses. We had two condos in Colorado, one of which we sold. And then the rest of them were up in Michigan, where I was kind of around where I grew up. So I also knew that market. And that's the Michigan market is kind of cheaper as well. So it was easy to kind of, after you get one and then two and three, you have enough money to pay down the home equity line of credit. And then you can use that to get more mortgages and go on from there. I don't know if that's what you're looking for in terms of the answer. No, I mean, it, it, it just sounds like you went one at a time using mostly primarily leveraging the, the lines of credit in order to kind of move that forward. And then the, the cash flow generated by the portfolio bit by bit. Yes, yes. And it was easy to find I, the second... And I remember writing about this too. Um, this is a reason you want to tell people you invest in real estate because I remember one of the townhouses I even have is because a neighbor had known I was looking for places, uh, a neighbor of the townhouse, the first townhouse I bought. And he said, Hey, I want to sell mine. Do you want to buy it? And we were able to do a direct transaction with a, like a real estate lawyer. And so it was cheaper for him and it was cheaper for us. And it was pretty quick transaction and it was great. And if it's on the same block, there's probably some synergies there too. Exactly. Exactly. So if I have a handyman who needs to service one, I just tell him, Hey, can you pop into the other one and just uh, make sure the filters are changed and that everything's in good working condition. And so it works definitely when you put them together. Yeah. I definitely love that idea where you just tell everybody, Hey, I'm an investor. If you ever know anybody who's thinking of selling, I'm talking to somebody about a potential foreclosure because I just said, hey, if you ever know, I'm always looking. And they're like, oh, there's this one house. Yes, yes, yes. That's what I want. So how many properties do you own total? Yeah, I have 14 units. So some of them are, uh, two of them are duplexes. So yeah, I guess 12 buildings or- 12 buildings. <laughs> and how many have leverage on them versus how many are free and clear? Oh, goodness. So- it's hard to say because when you say free and clear, technically there are a few properties that we have on our line of credit right now that 
to, for all intents and purposes, it's free and clear on that side, but we're still paying on them <laughs> locally. And so I think six of them we have mortgages on. Okay. Um, yeah. Wow. Wow. Good for you. That's like 50. Okay. Woohoo. So you said a moment ago, I manage my properties, which is really minimal work. If you ask me how much time goes into managing 12 properties across three States. I mean, you're getting calls every night in the middle of the night, my toilet broke. And so how much time is this really? Oh, right. I love this question because in, you know, my very, I suppose, a small bubble of real estate management, at least. I I mean, I have properties that are built in the late 1800s and some that are built in the 90s. So, you know, there's there's like a hundred years difference in some of these properties. Some of them need more attention than others. But the ones up in Michigan, I just have a manager for because it's hard for me to know the policies and codes and make sure I manage uh, annual inspections and whatever. So... Because a lot of those are the older properties, I have a manager there. And I found that sometimes managing the manager has been most of my time. But I've recently found a manager that is just so great. And I really only have to check in whenever I have a question that's specific or something like that. So for the ones that I manage directly, it's been... uh, I would say an average of maybe an hour to a week. And I think that's being generous because I oftentimes it's kind of trying to average out recently. We had some turnover because we're coming up on the summer months. And then we had, I know I was talking about having three (laughs) furnace and AC replacements. And that took up a whole lot of time because it happened in the peak season when it's extremely cold in Michigan. So that took up a lot of time trying to work things out there. Okay. So you make $40,000 a year averaging an hour a week. I want that job. It's a great job. <laughs> she, she, she spends $40,000 a year. She earns probably more than that. From oh, oh. portfolio, right? <laughs> Thank you for right? the correction. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you for the correction. Wow. Um, well, let me ask you this because, you know, we, sometimes we paint a really rosy picture of the outcome here, but the reason you have this situation, I presume is because a lot of work went into the front end here to build this portfolio and get your education right. Oh, yes. Yes. How many hundreds of hours did you put in learning about real estate and putting it, laying the the foundation for this portfolio to and situation you currently have? Well, before I made my first jump, I would say, and I know this probably sounds low, but I would say it was maybe 50 hours. And I say that because maybe more, I just remember listening to the bigger pockets podcast on the way to work on the way from work. And so it would be at least maybe a podcast a day. And then I'd be uh, sitting there on my lunch break or during lulls and just reading bigger pockets, whatever's, I mean, it might be, I was on a few webinars with Brandon. So yeah, I mean, until I jumped into my first deal, it was probably around that much. And then, I mean, since then it's been hundreds. (laughs) So it's hard to say, but it's also, I mean, how many hours of work, right? Because once I started learning about this, it wasn't really work to me. It was just fun. And it's this, I don't know, weird money-making hobby I have. (laughs) So I haven't really tracked it, but I would say probably hundreds or so. Nice. Yeah. I think when it comes to this, like when it comes to real estate and all this stuff, it's really like 250 some odd 
decisions that you have to make, you know, give or take. I don't know. And you just have to like understand what those are and listen to absorb a lot of content. Like you listened to a lot of podcasts and bigger pockets and audiobooks and you know, read blog posts and forum posts and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's it's upfront and knowledge accumulation over time and absorption that really saves you the time and, and it creates a situation of what you've currently got, this this great situation where you don't really do much work and it brings in a lot of money and it has probably appreciated a little bit your portfolio and that's where you're at. Anyways, it's not as rosy as one to two hours a week and you get to this position, I think, is what I'm trying to communicate to Oh, us. yes, absolutely not. I mean, and I know I, I made a whole lot of mistakes, costly mistakes. <laughs> and so it, it's certainly not rosy. I've had, I have, you know, some, like I said, we, I just found this new PM where I just kind of, you know, plug and chug. I don't even need to worry about him. But in this area that I am in, in Michigan, it's just, it's really easy to find or managers that you don't really, you can ask all the right questions and they can tell you what you want to hear, whatever the case is, but you can still run into your fair share issues, whether it's somebody you've hired to manage or you managing. So yeah, certainly not rosy. It's been a lot of work to get here. And I'm not saying that there'll never be a storm, (laughs) but uh, that's why I've prepared. And this is what I would tell anybody. So when you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, you have your idea of how much it'll make, but make sure you are really, really conservative because you just don't know what you don't know. And I've run into that a few times. And luckily, having conservative estimates have been very helpful there. Moving into the uh, kind of current state situation, you know, how do you feel about like a cash position as, as someone who's going to live off of a lot of real estate income and kind of, you know, both you guys are moving towards this full-time retirement piece. I mean, obviously entrepreneurship, all that kind of stuff. But like, how do you, how do you feel about a cash position at this point in making the transition to retirement? Can you explain, sorry, when you mean cash position as in like having all your assets in like paper assets or do you mean? No, I'm sorry. That's a good, good, good follow-up. I, I, earlier in the show, you mentioned that you felt that you liked having more than six months cash reserve. Oh, thing. Do you still feel that way? Is that something that you've, do you have a very large cash position in going into this relative to maybe someone who had a stock portfolio that they could just sell off a little bit at a time if they needed extra cash? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, And something I haven't really considered. Uh, Right now, I still have more than six months (laughs) saved up. And on the same end for my real estate business checking, you know, all those, the capital expenditures that you set aside, the repairs and vacancy, the HOA fees, the insurance, whatever, taxes. I have at least a year, whatever that total is at the end of my spreadsheet, I try to maintain at least a year and that balance, assuming that at some point, everybody's going to be vacant. Like worst case scenario, of course, that's not likely. But again, I had three HVACs I had to replace this year. So that was a big chunk of that annual savings that I should have. And it really paid off because when one of them broke down and they said, Hey, we need two to put into this duplex. Uh, like, okay, fine. And then another one broke down and they said, all right, we need to replace the whole thing. And said, okay. <laughs> and that just helps me not feel that gut-wrenching loss at any point. I've saved up for it or rather my business has saved up for it and I feel better about it. So I think there's still those symptoms of that blueprint feeling of insecurity, but it's just the stress I feel behind all that, all the tension that I used to have 
is really melting away. So there's just a little bit there left, but right now I'm feeling pretty okay. (laughs) I want to clap so hard for you for that (laughs) whole thing you just said, because I'm in the bigger pockets forums all day, every day. That's like my job. And I see this question pop up over and over again. How do I get started investing with no money? No, don't. Don't invest with no money because you need reserves. Something always breaks in real estate. It is a rule. It is carved in stone. As soon as you buy a property, something breaks. And the cost of that repair is inversely proportionate to how much money you have in the bank. So if you buy a house and you've got a year's worth of reserves, you need a new outlet. But if you buy a house and you have nothing, you need a new furnace or a new air conditioner, depending on what season, it needs a new roof. Like there's all these things. Real estate costs money and you put aside a little bit every month based on how old the thing is. You're going to need new appliances. Are you going to need them today? Well, not if they're all brand new, but if they're all 15 years old, you need to have a big chunk of reserves set aside so you don't feel the pinch. I have neighbors who had a rental property and like the air conditioner, the water heater and the furnace all broke at this in like in the same year. Oh my goodness. And then as soon as that year was up, as soon as their lease was up, they sold the house. I'm like, why'd you sell? Everything's new now. You don't have to sell again. You know, you don't have to replace anything for decades, but they didn't have the reserves. So it was really difficult for them to come up with the money to, you know, fund these repairs. You have to have reserves. And I love that you have reserves. Sorry, yes. end rant. <laughs> I will always, and, and I'm the same way because I, op- I operate on that security slash safety. And for anyone who is in that position, like you just described, where they think they have a lot of old appliances and that's coming up. My recommendation for anyone who doesn't have a huge reserve is to consider a home warranty. And so on my older properties, I have home warranties on them and it's been extremely helpful. You know, hot water heater goes out, call the home warranty within 24 hours, they're there. They will replace it. Same thing with uh, one of the HVACs that went out. That was a unique situation. I can explain later if you want, but those home warranties, like if they had had one, all those major appliances that you mentioned are covered and they, you know, you pay into that. It's like buying insurance, right? So it might be a like four to 600 or so a year. And then you pay like a service fee for them to come out. And that's pretty much it in most cases. Going back a, a second here to the whole no money conversation, buying real estate with no money, you, you essentially did this in a little bit of a way with your home equity line of credit, right? On that first property using that to kind of, but, but you came into that with a strong cash position, right? You had cash, you had a high savings rate, you had a very strong financial foundation, right? That's the appropriate situation from which to invest in rental property with no money. I don't want to correct you, Scott, but (laughs) she didn't invest with no money. She didn't have like a big pile saved up. She borrowed from the equity in her home, but she had money. She, she had, she, no, I'm saying she did have a pile of money saved up. She just didn't use that to buy the real estate. She used another creative financing method. Okay. Right. <laughs> yes. Because, you know, we were taking the mortgage out. Right. And so we had the 25%, right. But it wasn't until they came back and said, we messed up that I was like, oh my gosh, how are we going to pay for this? Uh, we can't just start the mortgage process all over again with somebody else. And then I learned about home equity line of credit or I read about it at some point. And then we took one out because it was actually a pretty fast process. And that's how we did it. So it was a little bit of both because our home equity line of credit, I think at the time, couldn't 
uh, do the whole thing. So it was a mixture. It was a little bit of both. Just we didn't, we hadn't planned on it. <laughs> yeah. But my, my point is that a lot of people get excited about buying real estate with no money down, right? Like no, like bringing nothing to the table. That's great. It's awesome to do that if you have a, a strong financial position and are going into that in a way that it will advance your position, but you're not dependent on it. What I think mm-hmm. is not appropriate is if you had done the same thing, but had had no liquidity, we're living paycheck to paycheck and we're using tapping out on your home equity to buy this one deal where everything hinges on that as being successful. That's where I think absolutely to a lot of trouble. And that's, I think the whole point of, you know, one of the whole point, major points for me of our show here is this is the foundation that you need to build from which to make investments in real estate, in, in the stock market, in whatever it is you're going to do to build out, build toward financial freedom. Yes, yes. And that is the sole reason we were ready to jump in and buy something just six months after figuring all this out. (laughs) Because otherwise, if we were leaving paycheck to paycheck, I know I wouldn't have felt nearly as comfortable knowing myself. It it would have been a bit longer (laughs) until I had bought my first one. Okay. So Scott, I'm glad you clarified that because that makes a lot more sense. I actually, I do the live-in flip and I never had a big pile of money saved up to fund the repairs. In fact, I put them all on credit cards because I wanted the points and, or the Home Depot credit card allows you to pay little bits with no interest for six, 12, 18 months or whatever. So I took advantage of that too. But my husband was making something like $130,000 a year and we're spending 40 on our living expenses. I mean, we were spending the rest on our home improvement, but we were just spending a small amount. So we we had the money there. We didn't really have a, an emergency fund. We just had, here it comes again, an excess of money. <laughs> so, you know, we just spent it yeah. at Home Depot. Well, they're, both, they're both two sides of the same coin, a high savings rate and cash reserve. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you have one or the other, you're in a really strong place. If you have both, then that's where you start thinking about, oh, I could retire pretty early here and achieve financial freedom. Yes. Yes. And I think a lot of people, uh, cause I, I am on a lot of just like kind of passive fire forums where I see people talking about, you know, I have, uh, my spending rate is 70, $80,000 a year. I achieved financial independence, but I'm just afraid to make the jump. And People and to each their own, right? Some people want to just retire to to part time work, which I think is great. Some people are saying, "Well, I want my McMansion and to maintain this high level, which they call fat fire." And and I think that's great, but at the same time, you hear them. I guess you hear their voice when they're writing about how much they dislike their current situation and they're not willing to trim their budget or whatever the case is. And that's where that that high savings rate is just that was the key for me to retire. And when people hear I'm retired, sometimes I, I don't actually come out and say it. <laughs> I'll say, well, you know, I'm kind of a low-key real estate consultant now. <laughs> but when I talk to them about that and they say, oh yeah, let's go here, let's do this. And I'm like, well, you know, not really in the budget today. And like, well, why you got this money? I'm like, yes, but I would like to maintain, (laughs) I'd like to stay retired. So yeah, that savings rate and sticking to a budget once you kind of figure it out is is really important. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. 
Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost. So combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. So do you have next steps here to maintain retirement? Is there other levels to the goal or are you kind of letting it coast? 
Yes, it's a little bit of coasting or it has been at least for, I say coast for like six months, but we recently were trying to figure out what we wanted to do next. And the idea of paying down debt was really important to us. So one of the condos here in Colorado has just appreciated fairly nicely. And we decided, okay, well, if we sell this property Right now, even though we make, I don't know, I think it's three or $400 a month off of this property, it would take us 12 years, I think, is close to 12 years to make what we've made in appreciation after expenses if we sold. So we decided if we sell this property, we can pay off our house and go from there because that will increase our savings rate a good bit because now we won't have a mortgage. And... So we decided to do that, which a lot of people might say, no, no, why would you ever do that? But for us, it's the right decision because some people, they just don't like having debt. I am one of those people, strangely enough, um, even though I leveraged it to get to where I am today. So that is our next move is selling this condo, paying off our house and enjoying that. (laughs) Have you already sold the condo or are you in the process of doing that? So, uh, you know, knock on wood, we have the offer in hand. Um, we're supposed to close in a few weeks. Again, a cash buyer, I just, you know, it's crazy to have that people have this surplus to just buy properties like that. But maybe he has a HELOC too. Who knows? <laughs> so so I, got, I have a question about this uh, This concept here. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about through the strategy and my and ramifications for myself. I'm probably a few years out from actually executing any of this. But, you know, this, this rental, this condo, I assume it appreciated a lot, right? Oh yes, like fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> okay, so when you sell, you're going to have fifty thousand less depreciation in recapture mm-hmm. from that perspective. Plus our initial investment that we had and what we've paid down in our principal. Got it. Did you consider ten thirty one exchange at all as an as an alternative? I absolutely did. I was looking at two other condos in another economy, thinking, well, you know what, in this market, I could buy two properties with. Uh, you know, and have a good bit of that. And it would double my monthly income, but then I would also take on a good bit of mortgages again. And yes, so we thought about the 1031 and rolling that into other properties, but we're looking for right now is simplicity. And so paying off our mortgage would just be amazing because when we first got the mortgage, again, I didn't know anything about money. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this massive amount of money. I need to pay it down, pay it down, pay it down. So that's what we were doing. When I say our savings rate is hard to calculate, we were just paying down our mortgage and I didn't realize the power of money and how I could invest it and have all these properties pay my mortgage for me and all that good stuff. Anyways, all this to say that, yeah, this is where we settled on because it's right for us. It simplifies our life. (laughs) No, I love it. I think, I think that's, Hey, it's very powerful. We've won. We've won. Yes. Our situation is great. And this is going to make things a lot easier for us, even though I could potentially squeeze more ROI out of a different move or a different investment or whatever. What will your annual expenses go to once your mortgage is eliminated? I would say it's probably fifteen to 20000 max. Total? Total, yes. So your total, your total lifestyle expenses will be $20,000. I would, that's what I'm estimating. We've, we've been trying to closely track. I mean, we don't buy clothes all that much. We trade clothing. We, <laughs> we, we buy and make a lot of food. I, I mean, we do travel, but we travel cheaply. I, I like, we love this site called Travel Zoo. And in December, you can go to Mexico, at least from this area for like 
$400 a person, including flights and an all-inclusive resort. So when we do travel, we do it in the off season and between seasons. And you can live a really lavish lifestyle on this amount if you don't have a mortgage, obviously. So there are very specific circumstances to being able to spend this much and feeling full. Love it. Yeah. So on the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Investing Podcast, they interview a really wide range of investors. There's people who have a few properties. There's people who have like the I want more investors. They've got a hundred units and they want more. They've got hundreds of units and they can't get enough. And I like this story because you have 12, which could seem like a lot to somebody, but it could also seem like, oh, I could handle 12 or now you'll have 11 I could handle 11 or maybe you condense more and you know what? 10 covers it for us. So you don't have to have hundreds of units across the entire country to still fund your whole life. I love that. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of when I touch on, you know, people who fat fire and lean fire and whatever the terms you want to think about there is for us, it was trying to settle on what is enough. And we went a little past that point of what's enough. And we settled on, okay, this is enough. We are happy with this because just teaching private lessons, you know, if I want to teach some instruments and go out and do X, Y, and Z for some money here and there, I I mean, that'll be enough. It'll be enough. If we, for whatever reason, lost all our properties, it would still be enough because we were able to leverage ourselves into the position we are now. And so that's when I say that stress is really melting away because we just feel so much better about it, which is great. We love it. All right. So one, one big question left here. What, what are you guys doing for healthcare? What's your kind of plan around that? So the healthcare, because I, I mentioned I was in military and I'm still technically a reservist here. And so our healthcare is through the reserves. And so we pay, uh, I think like... Because uh, it's not always consistent, and we have a max out of pocket. So I think each year we pay about five thousand total. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! When I was yeah. on the healthcare exchange, I was paying nine hundred dollars a month. Yeah, for I know. like I know. isn't that crazy? <laughs> it was the crappiest policy. It covered nothing except like every policy covers your your well child visits and your annual exam, and that's it. And then it doesn't cover anything till like $15,000 or something. Wow. Is that through the VA or is that through the health exchange? Technically it's through the military network. So part of it for me can be through the VA because how that goes is like, if you're prior military and you claim, I don't know if you like injured your left elbow, which I did (laughs) when I was teaching, I taught combatives for a little bit and I injured myself. So anything with my elbow, I can claim if I want and, you know, go in and, get that treated for free by the VA because it's something that, you know, Hey, you had this injury because we put you in a position (laughs) to have this injury. And so I can do that. Or, you know, you go through the TRICARE military network with the family and you pay, uh, you have a copay and you have that max out of pocket. So if something happens, you can go to urgent care, you can go wherever you need and have that covered for the most part. So going back one more step here, after you pay off your mortgage, you're going to say that your annual spending is going to be $20,000, 15 to $20,000, you said. Mm-hmm. So this is 5,000 of that. So you're looking at 1,200 bucks a month between the two of you to kind of fund your entire lifestyle, including these trips to Mexico and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, out, that's outstanding. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I would say maybe $400 a month for food and groceries. And we have solar panels on our property. So, you know, that helps with our electric bill. That The solar panels were there when we bought the property. And luckily, people owned them. They purchased to own. And so, yeah, we kind of inherited it, paid for it when we bought the property, of course. But yeah, I mean, it's just, we don't have... A much need to go out and do a lot. I don't know what I could spend $1,200 on. <laughs> I mean, I, I, we, we do like, I, we would really love a Tesla. <laughs> that would be great. But right now we don't need one. And, do you have um, paid off cars or yes. one paid off car? Is that right? Yep. Uh, we had two paid off cars. Then we did this whole, I think it was eight months of just figuring out, trying to use one car and Really, I, I, I don't know, it was like $75 or so a month in just insurance we were paying. And we said, even with these conflicts that we've had with just the one car, it would be so easy to just buy an Uber for you know that five mile or ride a bicycle, right? The bicycle life we've, uh, we've really embraced too. And so it's way less than $75 a month if we ever have that conflict, if one of us needs to use an Uber to go somewhere, or we can just ride share, we can ask for a ride and, you know, get somebody a coffee as a thank you. It's so easy to do something like that and to be more communal in the way you live, which I don't know, we've really enjoyed that. And to curb food expenses, I guess, you know, we have a, we have a garden in the back and we grow food and <laughs> it's nice. It's good. We love it. So yeah. Yeah. When you don't have a mortgage, you really don't have very many expenses. I mean, you could, you, you could have the really expensive phone and the clothing habit and the shoes and the, you know, going out to eat all the time and you could really find ways to spend it, but it's also really easy to find ways to not spend it. And I love that you have a garden. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, the gardening thing has been really fun, especially the square foot gardening is, is what we did. And you can make those a lot cheaper than the, you know, the, the actual garden beds. There's just so many things that you can fill up your time with that at least we found happiness in our position. I'm sure a lot of people would be like, oh, I couldn't live that way. And people have said that. <laughs> but you know, when I'm home and not setting an alarm, I know I was in the military, but I hate waking up early. So <laughs> that's been really, really nice. Okay, Sarah, this was awesome. I love your story. I love that you used real estate to get where you are. I love that it did not cost you a million dollars to generate your $40,000. I was recently looking at a triplex that I did not end up getting. It just closed the other day that would have generated $38,000 a year and it would have cost me $450,000, which sounds like a lot, but this is, you know, Colorado money. It was a triplex and there was a lot of room to move those rents up, but I didn't have time. There's so many things that I have going on right now. It just didn't work out, but I, I love that you've got this going on and you know, what's the worst that can happen. It's time to, time to quote Joel from FI 180 again. What's the worst thing that could happen? You run out of money. You have to go back and get a job. It's not like you're going strong today. And then all of a sudden tomorrow you're out of money. You're going to know if it starts going down because you're going to be selling the properties or you can see the market take a bit of a downturn. So you've got some time to figure it out. Who was it? Bryce and Christy from episode 55. We're talking about their cash cushion and their yield shield and all of that. You just have to still pay a little bit of attention to it. But financial independence at 31, I mean, if you never worked again, you could still live. You're not going to be homeless. You're not going to be destitute. That's awesome. 
Okay, it is time for our famous four questions. These are the same four questions and one demand, one command that we ask of all of our guests. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay, what is your favorite finance book? I really loved Who Took My Money by Robert Kiyosaki. It's kind of one of his lesser known books, but it kind of covers a lot of the rich dad, poor dad, his guide on investing and all these other things in its early retirement geared as well. I love that book. Awesome. I'll have to check that out. I've never heard of that one. Yeah, I've never heard of that either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really great in my opinion. And it's kind of shorter too. So it's more compact. So if you know your stuff already, it might help you out. Nice. Cool. All right. What was your biggest money mistake? Oh, goodness. There probably one of the biggest money mistakes was buying a duplex in a city that where it wasn't up to code. It had been grandfathered in. I didn't realize that if you had a duplex with one HVAC, when it broke, you needed to have two HVACs put in one for each unit. Mm. So I was like, no worries. I have a warranty for that. Then they came in and they said, well, we will replace the one that broke, but we're not going to give you two, (laughs) which makes sense, right? That makes complete sense. But at the same time, I was like, oh, me, it stinks. So you know, they, you can do a cash payout with these warranties, which helps curb the cost. But then you had to get the two because if you had them replace the one, it would be overpowered. I can't remember the term they use, but it would be too big for just that one unit. Um, so anyways, we had to get that. We had to get the ducts done. We had to work with the city to get the energy on the outside wired properly. Oh my goodness. Biggest mistake. I should have asked that question. But at the same time, you don't know what you don't know. So... That was a huge mistake, but it still works. It cash flows nicely. So conservatively. <laughs> no, I like your comment. You don't know what you don't know. And that is precisely why Bigger Pockets exists. We've got a blog, we've got a forum, we've got two podcasts, three podcasts now. We've got the business podcast that just debuted last Tuesday. And it is a great place to ask questions or learn from people who are in it and love it and want to help other people. If you are thinking about investing in real estate and you don't have a bigger pockets account, what are you waiting for? It's free. All this information is free. And it's just, you won't believe when you get on the site, you won't believe how much information is there. We've been around for what, 14 and a half years. So we're kind of like drinking from a fire hose. Yeah. It's so easy to, you can ask anything like the most obscure question. And it's, it's been asked in the forum most likely. And if you, if it hasn't been, you can ask it and there will be people who reply. It's amazing. Yeah. There's somebody who has <laughs> gone through it and knows exactly, you know, Oh, don't forget to fill out form 72 Y because that makes it tax deductible or like the, just all these things you don't know. I can't believe that bigger pockets exists. I can't believe I get to work here and I can't believe I get to read the forums all day long. It's like a dream come true. Okay. Sorry. This isn't, my show. This is your show. I'll just chime in on this also. I have a little bit of a bias here, you know, for bigger pockets. Uh, I don't. That's it, kind of natural in there. But, you know, what I love about it is it's not about Sarah's opinion. It's not about my opinion. It's not about Mindy's opinion. It's not about Brandon Turner's opinion, David Green, any of these other folks that you might have heard on bigger pockets. It is about the communities and the crowdsourced ability to get feedback. You ask a question on this and you might get three totally opposite answers, right? Three just totally differently. Hey, should I allow pets in my property? Yes, no, only certain types and all the, all the different caveats in there. There is no right answer, but that debate is where you really get to learn a lot. And I think that a lot of content out there is really black and white these days. Here's how to do that. Here's a three-step guide. Here's the checklist or whatever. And that 
debate and dialogue and that different community source perspective gathering is just not available anymore. So that's what I love about what we're doing here at Bigger Pockets is. Well, and I'm going to jump on top of that and say, when you ask, you know, should I allow pets? Yes. No, it's not just yes or no. It's yes, because of these reasons. No, because of these reasons. So it gives you something to think about. Oh, no, I shouldn't allow cats because they spray. Oh, that's a good point. I don't want to deal with that. Or, hey, I don't care so much. Or, yes, I should because all these people with pets are really good pet owners or, you know, they tend to stay longer or whatever. It, it gets to what's important to you as an investor. So it gives you people, our members are so amazing and they just give you a lot of different things to think about. And then you can make an informed decision as opposed to just guessing. Okay. Definitely. Back to Sarah. Sorry for the <laughs> pockets commercial. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> what is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? Oh goodness. It is so easy to be really eager to do any sort of action. I remember when I first started, when service calls came in, I was like, I must get this done in four hours or else they're going to hate me or whatever. You know, they're going to want to move out. And I think, no, that has never happened. When I was a renter, I remember this apartment complex. Like I, there was something that needed fixing. And a month later they came in and I had just, you know, forgotten all about it. I'm like, okay, I got time here. We can work. So the piece of advice is um, to gather yourself if you feel overwhelmed um, and shop around if you need to. Uh, Some of the largest mistakes I've made is to not just make a second call and say, Hey, how much is this? You know, this is what needs to be done. How much would you charge? Because if you are so desperate to get into something, you may not take a second look and realize, oh, you know what? That could have saved me $10,000 if I had just bought this neighbor property that needed a little bit of work or something. So the best piece of advice is to just kind of calm down, know your surroundings and, and make a second call or reconsider something if you need to. Now, I'm not like encouraging analysis paralysis, right? But it's just when you need to spend money, make that second consideration. Are there other options here? And you'll find yourself saving so much money left and right. Yeah. You know, in some cases, contractors don't have time to do your job. So they will give you some outrageous quote. Oh, that'll be $5,000. And you're like, oh, I guess that's what it costs. But it's worth it to them to do it. If you'll pay them $5,000, they'll make time in their schedule. But it's a $1,200 job. So you call around and one guy's $5,000 and somebody else's, you know, $2,000 and somebody else's $1,500. Why are you 1500? Oh, I have, I just had a job cancel or whatever. So yeah, always get at least three opinions. Right, right. And cheaper isn't always better at the same time. You know, <laughs> that is true. That is true. I was thinking of that as I said that cheaper isn't always yeah. better, but why is one 1500 and one is 5000? So, you know, exactly. do a little bit of research. Yep, absolutely. Great, great, great. All right. What, what is your favorite joke to tell at parties? So I'm, I'm not a funny person, I don't think, but my favorite joke, and I'm a bad storyteller. Okay. So um, anyways, you hear about the restaurant on the moon, great food, but no atmosphere. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> See, I'm sorry. I knew I'm trying to think flat, about a moon is made of cheese pun related to that. But I, was just <laughs> so, oh well. I also, I like the one um, where the magician is driving down the road and he turns into a driveway. Ellen's <laughs> a good one too. Anyways, okay, you and Scott are now best friends. 
Uh, the ones are the best. <laughs> so we record these shows a couple of weeks in advance. And one of the guys came into the office today. He's like, oh, I was listening to the show that just came out this morning. Scott's Samoa pun. You need to get him in check. <laughs> nice. That's from... That's from even Stevens episode. Oh, I think 67. Uh, even, yep. Even Stevens episode 67. Scott makes a very terrible joke in the beginning about Girl Scout cookies because that's, that's just Scott. Okay. Sarah, where can people find out more about you? You know, I don't have much of a social media presence, but I do have bigger pockets. So, you know, if you want to find me on my profile, I know you said you'd link it. So that's where you can find me. I'm fairly uh, responsive, happy to help you with questions if I can, or just talk about real estate or fire (laughs) or really anything. (laughs) Awesome. We will link to Sarah's profile in our show notes, which can be found at biggerpockets.com slash money show 71. Sarah, this was awesome. I love your story. I love that you are financially independent through real estate. It's one of our goals with the whole Bigger Pockets website is to create a million millionaires who are independently wealthy through real estate investing. And you are a shining example of everything we stand for. (laughs) Shining, shining example. Okay. Thank you so much for your time today. This was awesome. Thank you. Okay. We'll talk soon. Thank you. All right. Big thanks to Sarah. Mindy, what'd you think? Oh my goodness. I love her story. I love that she has a manageable portfolio that she, that is kicking off enough to, for her to live on. As soon as she pays off her mortgage, it's going to kick off twice what she needs to live on. And the power of real estate investing is so awesome. I'm so happy to be able to share that with our listeners who may not be interested in listening to the bigger pockets real estate investing podcast because that might not be their passion but they can see from Sarah's story how you can use real estate to literally fund your entire life yeah you know the two-pronged approach of real estate investing and frugality i guess the three-pronged approach of a full-time job real estate investing and frugality i mean what a powerful winning combination to move towards five very, very efficiently. So and she did it when she was 30. Yeah. That's just, it doesn't take that much. What does she build up her portfolio in three or four years? Yeah. I mean, well, she started in 2014, right? So yeah, it's 2019 now. So five years, Yep. five years to financial freedom. Absolutely. And it doesn't sound like it was, you know, cramping her style too much or anything like that. I mean, she's doing exactly what she wants to do and, and is very successful there. So Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of things that I I noticed coming up here that seem to be an emerging trend is that in addition to saving money, investing in real estate and slowly easing into this concept of financial freedom, rather than taking it all, all the reducing all the income in the family in in one big shot, that she's making conscious step-by-step decisions to do that, right? She's got a very significant cash reserve. And she's always had a significant cash reserve. That's something I've found in common with a lot of real estate investors in the past. Not everybody. Successful. A lot, a lot of, of successful real estate investors. Yes. A lot of successful real estate investors tend to have a large cash cushion, which absolutely eats into the overall returns of your portfolio, right? Because that cash is technically generating less than uh, you could if you had put it to work. But it is providing an opportunity. There's opportunity 
access by having that cash. And it really negates a lot of the risk, right? So she's talking about a concept where she has both a large cash position for her personal life and for her real estate portfolio. And this is exactly what I personally do as well. I've got a large cash position for my rental property portfolio and a slightly less large cash position for my personal use. And I think that that is a trait or characteristic of the portfolios of a lot of real estate investors, I'd imagine, who are, who are using it to achieve this financial freedom uh, early in life. So definitely wanted to point that out. I think it's interesting that this is yet another person who has gotten around the healthcare issue moving into early retirement by using military benefits and a military background. I mean, very powerful tool there and well-deserved from anybody who's listening with any military background. That does make things, it seems, a little bit easier going into early early retirement. Yeah. The healthcare question is uh, tied for number one with what do you do for childcare? And there's no magic answer. There's no magic button. Oh, you could just not have it. You have to have health insurance because the alternative is to get sick and have just a crippling bill from the hospitals and you know whatever is wrong with you. So you do need to have health insurance. There's there's ways around that. You could have a high deductible plan and then just have a like a reserve for your costs up to that high deductible. If you know that you are very sickly or you have a chronic condition or something like that, then maybe a high deductible plan isn't the best choice for you. There's a lot of options out there, but this is going to be an expense that you're going to have to account for. I like that she's got the military background. Like you said, very well-deserved, absolutely well-deserved. She was a fighter pilot, wasn't she? We didn't really talk about that too much, but the, sh- the picture that she sent me is her in full mask and like cords coming out of her face kind of thing in her airplane, which is just so awesome. badass. Yeah. yeah. So badass. There's not enough ladies out there doing that. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. With going back to the healthcare thing though, a couple of themes that we've seen to emerge, right? The military is helpful. Uh, if you're a devout Christian or at least willing to abide by the rules of those groups that are, what are they called? The the health share. Health share, the Christian health shares. And then what's the, what we have a term for this now that we use where you go to other countries and leverage. Oh, medical tourism. Medical tourism. Yes. Medical tourism, or just generally traveling the world seems to be much cheaper than living in the United States when it comes to healthcare issues. What we haven't, I don't think, come up with a great solution for across any of our guests, across all the episodes, is what if you intend to retire or achieve financial independence and you know earn a median income in terms of adjustable gross income on your tax returns, are not Christian and want to stay put in a, in a major US city, right? What's the good answer for that person who wants to get health insurance, right? We haven't found that yet, I don't think. Is that right? Yeah, not really. There's talk of, I've heard conversations that surround people who have this lower income because they don't have a job anymore. And then they get subsidies for the health exchange, the healthcare exchange. Some people find that fine and some people have an issue with that. And that's, I don't know that we really want to get into that conversation right now, but you know, you don't apply for the health subsidies. They just kind of happen, right? Mm-hmm. I haven't gotten to that point yet, so I, I shouldn't actually say that. Yeah, you know, no, no. I think I think it's fair to, without either of us expressing an opinion, we won't express an opinion on this. The debate basically is, is you know, hey, should I produce a portfolio that has a very low taxable adjust AGI, right? Which would then allow me 
basically within, hey, my tax return shows that I'm basically living at or below the poverty line. But as a financially independent millionaire, you know, or close to it with lots of passive income, you know, I'm not really the target audience necessarily of what of that government program, right? In order to get Medicaid, for example. Right. So the question is, hey, is that is that permissible? And some people say, hey, that, you know, this is something that can cripple my portfolio and is just a chronic societal problem. And other people say, hey, I'm not going to take government subsidies to fund my early retirement as part of my plan. Again, without expressing an opinion on that, those are the arguments. But let's suppose that you're one of those in that bucket that says, hey, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to produce a low AGI through my portfolio allocation. I'm not going to qualify for any of these government subsidies or programs. How do I go about getting a great or a reasonable healthcare plan that will cover what I need in early retirement outside of full-time work? Right. And so that is, I think, the challenge that we should pose to listeners. Right. Who has that solution for us for that person who is who is looking to make this transition, but is not going to work a part-time job, not going to travel around other countries, not going to join a Christian health share, and not going to qualify for government subsidies? What's the good solution for healthcare for that person? Oh, that's a really good question. That's a really good question because when I was, before I started working here where I do have health insurance, my husband was working in a position that he did not have health insurance and we were on the exchange and it was $900 a month to cover pretty much nothing. And that's $11,000 a year, $10,000 a year, ten five. Uh, that's a lot of money. So you, that's an expense you're going to have to consider. I did see somebody talking on a chat group about having a chronic condition that costs him about $11,000 a year. And the general consensus was, okay, you're going to take your FI number and add $11,000 a year to that because that is now your FI number. You can't get away from having these expenses, so you need to account for them. And there might not be a good answer for this, but if you've got one, please send it to mindy at biggerpockets.com, scott at biggerpockets.com, or money at biggerpockets.com. But you can always also take Mindy's solution and just come work for Bigger Pockets. And we have a great healthcare plan. And you can find any open jobs at biggerpockets.com slash jobs. Yes. And then you too can talk about real estate and money all day long. Yes. All right. Should we get out of here? We should get out of here. From episode 71 of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, this is Mr. Scott Trench and I am Mindy Jensen. And we are, I don't have any good Air Force sign-offs. We are, uh, oh, all I know is that Top Gun movie. Maverick. We're jetting off to our next activity. We're jetting off to our next activity. That's Scott's, not mine, because that's... That was not so good. Uh, well, you know, goodbye. none of them are good. Goodbye. Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, 
Join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. 